I, I mean, this is my shocked face. This is a podcast and you can still see my shocked face. I mean, that's how shocked I am. And welcome back to another episode of Refactored, the conversation between two engineers about things beyond technical documentation that make teams, projects, and you more successful. My name is Frank Cole. And my name is Chris Tunkinson. And this is episode 48 on November 23rd, 2021, the Thanksgiving-ish episode. Ish. Ish. Is, that, is that nobody will hear until after. Until after, right. So I <laughs> technically should have done this last week, but you know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, that's it, not right. You, you know, yeah. It, it is what it is. That's right. So you spent anyway. too much time on the new opener and not enough thinking about what time, you know, we have a week's <laughs> long lag there. <laughs> yeah. It, well, you know, the, the, um, the genesis of that came out of, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about doing some, some, uh, some slight advertising. And so I started looking at, you know, for, for, to come up with copy to put on things where we might, you know, advertise the show. And that sort of led me into this thought of, you know, Hey, let's, let's try this. So anyway, um, I have, so because I think we've th- got an even more condensed version of that just on the site, you know, it's, it's tech management and shenanigans. It, it's and true. I, just, I mean, you, you could even, drop. yeah, you could, that's true. Yeah. You could, you could tighten it up even further. Um, all right, yeah, so we because say we want to suck less each day, but I'm really just here to make fun of you and get internet points for in, in the process. Well, I do like the suck less, and I don't want to lose that. But I did. I felt like I felt like I was getting into a rut with the intro, and I kind of wanted to just sort of mix it up. So um, I think, I, think we're, I don't know that to me that's like a that's like a warm blanket. That's like part of the part of the gear. True, and it's part of. The, I get there's, it. there's ritual to that. You know, I I get it. I get it. Um, we don't want to be too meta here about this. Um, so I had uh, it meta as in let's talk about the show on the show. That's n- nobody tunes in for that crap. Hey, let's it's start not, a podcast about podcasting. Nobody's done that yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make Internet millions. That's a new one. OK, that's so like all I'm, the. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're throwing back here like 20 years. All the all of the blogging about blogging oh my how god much money you can make blogging about <laughs> blogging so good ridiculous so good ridiculous. all right so i actually have um speaking of so i this was actually just in fun news but it actually overlaps a little bit with this in terms of content creation so i saw this uh i, I read this news and I, I sent you a link to the to the article about it the uh winamp do you remember winamp Please tell me you're not too young Winamp. to remember Winamp. You no, were, I, I remember Winamp. You won't remember yeah. Winamp. Okay. So um, whipping the llama's ass since uh, I think it was like 2013 or something like that. Or no, excuse me, not 2013, two, uh, uh, 1997. Um, so Winamp. What's is, the llama reference? I don't get that's, that. That's their, that's their slogan. If you When you installed Winamp, it had an, it had an MP3 preloaded into the playlist. And the first time you opened it, it would autoplay. And it was this. This look, oh man, now I want it. Do I, do I have Winamp installed? I'll see if I can get it together and play it before the end of the show. But they had this, this jingle and, and, you know, it would say, you know, Winamp, it really whips the llama's ass. That was their slogan. And I remember the first time I installed it and I went, it really, what the llama's, what? Like, what is this even about? <laughs> I was in I was in college at the time. This and I is, thought this is an inside it. joke, and I am on the outside. This is a <laughs> this is this is a professional piece of software, and they talk about whipping a llama's ass. I already love these guys, you know. So it was right, but uh, no, th- I don't th- remember th- the intro. I you went in all the oh, time. Yeah. I don't remember that. that oh clip, yeah, though. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm I'm now see now I gotta find it now I'm gonna now I gotta pull up Winamp. Although typically talking. you know on installation that's set up before any that was you know okay I've got my you know because we're going back a while <laughs> yes I've yes. got my oh, thumb drive good. with a uh, hundred yes! installers on yes, it the thumb so drive I come into a new pass. system yes come into a new system and just down the list install 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 <laughs> like I haven't turned the plug the speakers at nothing you I'm haven't just done getting anything all you just have to crank out exactly. the software. And I had yeah. my favorite, my favorite part of those kits was the decrapifiers. They that some of them, oh, one yeah. of them was actually called that, yep. but like there was a series of tools that you would yeah. use uh, to rip a- out garbage software that Dell and Gateway C and cleaner. HP C Cleaner. C Cleaner yep. was the and one was that one I of them. yeah. There was another one too. I used a couple of them. Some of them did third-party junk. And then there was another one that cleaned up uh Windows settings. And like Windows registry yeah. hacks. And then another one did Windows 
default software that you didn't want or need, and it would pull all that out. Uh, oh yeah, the value CCleaner's value <laughs> so was good. mostly CCleaner's uh, value for me was mostly cleaning up the registry junk and then help, helping to manage startup because mm-hmm. that wasn't always as easy as it is now. Right. Um, oh, yeah, CCleaner no. was a good product. I mean, you know, the Windows takes a lot of crap and it, it is justly deserved. I mean, see this conversation about having to start from a quote unquote clean install of Windows and then decrap and do a bunch of fixing, a, a, yeah. a bunch of fixing. Right. You literally but, had to fix something that wasn't broken. You could argue it came broken from came the factory or I from, wouldn't need to spend an hour fixing it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So um, so that was Microsoft always Microsoft sucks. <laughs> episode tag there it is there's the tag <laughs> we need a tag sound Ooh, that's a good one i'm gonna add that to the list tag sound um anyway so microsoft admittedly has come a long way on this because when i yeah. install a fresh windows 10 i haven't done 11 yet uh, have you have you tried 11 have you tried the new one yet no i'm not i i also don't slip my wrists <laughs> So no, I don't install anything from Redmond before Service Pack One. Before or, Service, you know, the modern equivalent. <laughs> oh my God, Service Packs! Remember Service? Oh man, this is like a trip down memory lane. This is great. Um, I, Microsoft has admittedly done a better job at making sure that their that their poo don't stink out the box. Um, and well, they've done that because they. I think to me, ninety five was a great system. It was three it one really and, and ninety five were good systems. Yep, and then seven was the next viable system. Seven was great. Ten, yeah, they they did. And to your point, they did come a long way. There's not as much preloaded crap. It it mm-hmm. it does just it's work cleaner. out of the it box a lot yep. better. The problem between seven and ten is that ten they said okay, we're going to take the same core system. I think it's the same or like one rev up of the NT kernel. It's still a like seven was a market improvement in terms of performance and oh, utility. Yeah. Big, seven big was a good up. system. 10 contribute c- continues that trend with a little bit of a UI refresh. That's fine. The problem with 10 though, is that they take that otherwise decent system with some nice creature comfort upgrades and they turn it into a flipping billboard. And I mm-hmm. can't yes. stand that. I yeah. cannot I stand the very core concept that my desk, my, my personal de- desktop operating is system a billboard. is a billboard yep. for your advertising. Wing. I hate I, that. Like do not ethically like. and I, have ethical disagreements with this practice and I actively hate it. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I, that is otherwise that, that soapbox aside, you're absolutely right. Like 10 just continues the good trend of them actually not doing a bad job at the default install these days. It's not, it's not too bad. You got to turn off some of the advertising stuff. You know what they're, you know what I don't like? I've read, um, they are, I, I feel like I'm getting some old school Microsoft in how they're doing the edge browser. So they have t- oh, rec- yeah. oh, they've yeah. recently taken some steps to prohibit other browsers from prompting users to change the default browser. So you really I hadn't yes. heard about this. Yeah. So so there are API. Oh. Well, how do they do that? Okay. So there are so there are API hooks. You know how when you when you install. No, I know what you're talking about. You you okay. know first time you're in Firefox, it says hey, hey or any time. No, you're not, not your default browser. Don't ask me again. Whatever. They're they're actively trying. They to are prohibiting. It- they are prohibiting the. They are prohibiting the Firefox program from doing it for you. So you can no longer you no longer get that prompt that says, "Would you like Firefox to be your default browser? Yes or no? Say yes, and you're done." You can't do that. Yeah, but anymore. how is that not the exact same antitrust violation that I they got agree. slapped with I like agree. five minutes ago? I'm not sure. I uh, that's just it. I'm not sure what what lawyers are telling them that they that they think this is not going to get them into trouble. Of course, it could just I mean, maybe they're taking into account the fact that they are going to get in trouble and they're saying, screw it, the money we'll make from getting edge yeah. more prevalent is going to outweigh the I mean, it could really be a finance cost. You get that big and you know this no, is No, what's your what's the there's so, a thing about how like laws laws that laws that only carry fines, they're really just fees for the rich to disobey the whatever the you know witty politicism is there that's exactly what this is uh, all right it, yeah we might get hit with another fine but we're going to make so much more on advertising that it's going to pay for itself and that's a cost of doing business um, yeah the one thing that they did with edge that i really didn't like and i understand why you would do this for the average like i'm not upset about the idea of it i just don't mm-hmm. like that i couldn't forget how to turn it off i like for my work machine i've got ie and edge 
And there are systems that we deal with for, you know, third parties that still like only work with IE because Edge is Chromium based and so whatever. Mm -hmm. If I go, if I just hit the Windows key and go into the search and type in Explorer or Internet, I don't get IE as the first result. It forces Edge above that in the search result. Mm -hmm. When I'm explicitly going yep. to look for Explorer. Yeah. Like if I just type in it, I, that that bothers the crap out. I understand well, why you do that for the users because you want to transition them. Yeah, you're trying to get away, them off Explorer. It's supported. Yeah, yeah. You're and trying it, to get them it off should it. be for, no, for 90, 95. I mean, however high you want to go, percent of average use cases, it's a drop-in replace. It's a, it's a drop-in enhancement, mm -hmm. <laughs> I would argue, because Edge is not a bad browser, you know, overall. But when I'm specifically looking for Internet Explorer, it pops up. And then there's like this, it's not a flash of unrendered content, but it's, it's like the same thing where you, you click on the search and then it brings up results and then you go to key in the one that you want, mm -hmm. but then something else pops into the list because Cortana decides that she wants to throw you another advertisement or reorder things. And then you wind up opening the wrong thing mm -hmm. that happens to me all the time. And I, it, it bothers me. I feel like, like again, seven was like the peak you, there was, there is still no desktop operating system in which it is faster to open the right program with like two or three key presses than Windows 7. Mm -hmm. You hit that Windows key, you type F, Firefox is the first thing, you hit enter three key presses, it takes you 600 milliseconds and your browser is already starting to open. It was almost magic. No other <laughs> spotlight on Mac OS, even the modern, the uh, Monterey or Jack Cheddar, whatever the hell they're calling it, the, this new one, uh, <laughs> None of the Linux, I mean, KDE, GNOME, none of these. There's no, there's no desktop search. And then 10 in my mind is a regression on that because now we're slowing it down so we can advertise. I'm going back into the whole soapbox. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, I, I, now seven, I still had to do some cleanup. I definitely had to do some of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't too a bad. A little, yeah. You needed to do yeah. a little bit, um, but it wasn't, uh, it, it was not the, um, the absolute mess that you had uh, in, uh, nine in the windows 98 days. Uh, I thought 98 was good too. I thought 98 was good. I skipped obviously you skip me, you skip Vista, of course, you know, but, uh, anyway, so this was all, uh, a, a lovely distraction. Uh, so Winamp going back you to had some these kind of article days, about something. Yeah. I had an article about this. Um, it, I mean, the article is irrelevant. You can go to the Winamp site. Winamp is back, or at least it's coming back. They are, they have just re-updated the site. Uh, this is probably round three or four for them trying again. Um, but I have kept I have kept a Winamp install because I have a pile of MP3s that I still listen to occasionally, and so I'll you know open up Winamp and put it on shuffle when I'm working. Mm -hmm. um, so the site recently got updated, and they are coming out with something new, something. Um, they're still advertising it as a media player, but the reason that I thought was really interesting is they've got a, they're talking about what they're doing and they're only teasing. So there's only so much you can go by, but part of their sales pitch talks about a unique space for creators. And so they have this one, this, this is what the blip says for artists and audio creators who, I mean, that's podcasts. We are for audiences, audio, audio creators. We're all about giving you control over your content. We'll help you connect closely with your fans and earn a fairer income from doing what you love. So they've got, they're, they're going to do some kind of tie in to the content creators. I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but it sounds like they're trying to make a play for a space that is, um, underserved Already highly bloody yeah it sounds like they want to do patreon it could be but it's a but there but that's just it. it this is a this is a local so a local player client so i mean it could be this could be blue ocean it could be it could be bloody red ocean too i agree i'm not sure but i like winamp and so i'm willing to uh i'm willing to see uh i'm willing to see where where they uh where they go with this mm. um by the way i uh while we were Oh, let me stop that. Oh, you, you got it ready? I got the sounder. I, I, I had, I just, here it is. Uh, here it is, folks. You ready me, for this? Let me just get it to stop. Okay, there we go. All right. Uh, you ready for this? I, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, here you go. Ready? This is the, this is the sounder. Win it. Win it. It really whips the llama's ass. <laughs> I do it. not remember that you at all. You don't remember that at all? Oh my God. No. I love that thing. 
<laughs> no. I remember. Oh man, it so, is pretty. It is pretty top forty morning zoo though. That uh, that I appreciate about. Oh, it. I yeah, like anything it, that's got that kind of a, a shtick. No, nothing. I mean, it's that it's that opening thing. That that win it, win it. Really, oh, it's the llama's yeah. ass. <laughs> the hits on the one. I also don't think that's a llama. That sounds like a sheep to me. But you know, details. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, Winamp is is making a comeback of some kind, and I thought that that was really interesting, and and it just reminded me of the good old days. I remember being a freshman in college. This is really dating me now, but uh, I was a freshman in college when Napster appeared, and oh my gosh, you want to talk about a golden age? I will never forget the day that my my free roommate, for all. Oh my gosh, free and I was in college. All. I was in college for it at this point, so. I can't, I'll never forget the day. It was a, it was a Coliseum style PVP melee orgy oh, it of, was, it, of intellectual property violation. It was, it was a golden <laughs> age of music. So I'll never forget the day my roommate came in and he said, dude, you got to see this thing. And he walked me through downloading Winamp and downloading Napster. And he, and I installed Napster. He's like, okay, now search for a song. What's on any song. And so I just, I picked a song and a bunch of results came up. And oh, okay. I'm gonna download this, and then it was right there. Okay, plug it into the thing, and I was like, "Holy, holy crap!" <laughs> yep. And so that freshman year, man, like everybody had. And there was this, there was this overlap, right? Because this is this yes. is this is just like just pre iPod taking over, right? And so. You had those, uh, you had the digital MP3 player, the precursor to the iPod. It was digital. It could only hold 500. So I, I forget what the storage were, but, mm-hmm. but it was, it was the, it was essentially about Walkman size. And for you youngsters out there, a Walkman, you would insert a tip. No, um, it was <laughs> about Walkman sized and it had, it had like, even then you were thinking, man, this doesn't hold very much. But it was still. It was more like than five a CD. or ten. Like the, the initial, yeah, the initial generation, it was like five CDs or ten CDs worth of. It and you were like still not like, holy bad. crap, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, and that you had that happen with Napster, and was like, what do I put on my music? <laughs> it was, it was, it was mind blowing. Coming Epic. from a day, age of CDs, where and and you know, going to school, we had this. We would have this billfold of CDs. It was hundreds of CDs, yeah. and you just rotate the CDs as you were going to school. And to go to that, to the MP3 player. And I had not, I had a precursor to the iPod. It was uh, from creative, like the, 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 the sound blaster guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what it was called, but that was my MP3 player. I ran with that all the time. And I, I, it's, I stuffed probably, you know, 50, 50 songs on it, which I mean, again, by today's standards is, is not much, but again, paltry, com- but still, but and the beautiful yeah. thing about it was as a, you know, working out, what, what made this thing amazing was that working out, it didn't skip. See the disc mm-hmm. man. It did. Yeah. It, when you, it, when you ran or anything, it didn't it would, jump. Right. And see with a disc man, it would jump. And the, the big technology yeah. prior to this was the anti-skip that you could get on mm-hmm. some uh, disc man models, uh, but it used extra battery juice because it was basically queuing. It was using mm-hmm. the funniest part buffering. about it. It was buffering and it was using some of the same underpinning technology that made its way yeah. into the MP3 players, which is really kind of funny. But it used extra battery juice to do buffering on the device. It was, <laughs> so anyway, um, and the joke of it was you had infinite access to infinite music and it was all, I think. It was one all there. Kilobit quality. It was abyss. We didn't have, you know, nothing. Oh, it was one hundred twenty. Had not been invented yet. One hundred twenty. You know, MP three. Flack, wasn't it? It was. If you were lucky, if you were lucky, you had one hundred twenty eight, and that was coming from a CD rip, so it wasn't actually that good because you're you're sampling twice. Um, but yep. you didn't care because you could. It's like, oh, I want all of Metallica, oh, I was- everything, or you know, whatever it was, and you just get it. And, but, it and what you would do, and what you would do, my my roommate became prolific at this. He would, he he he. A lot of us did, but he really cultivated and curated his his collection. And when he would get a cheap version if it was the only one he could find, but then he would be on the hunt for something with a higher for bit upgrades. rate so that he could do upgrades. Yeah. And eventually you wanted to get that CD quality. You wanted 128 K of everything. And that's, that's what you, uh, that's what you shot for, man. Those were the days. Uh, it was just, uh, by the end of that year, the, 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 uh, dorm networks 
had been basically self-organized. Everybody was sharing yeah. their collections. And so by the end of the year, you you weren't going to Napster first. You were going out to other people's collections because they were using the sharing functionality. Well, that would, uh, that would and, happen. Everybody got their own, yep. everybody got their own genres and, and artists and that they like, and then you'd yep. share. So you basically had access to everything because somebody was, was going to already uh, have what you wanted. And then if you really wanted to download it, to put it on your, uh, your MP3 player, then you could, you could transfer, but uh, the good old, it days. was, oh, that was, oh, that was just a bonkers fun time. That I was can't so imagine great. being, I cannot imagine being like a net admin or a sysadmin. Well, that, here's the best part at, on like a campus. I know because, you best. know, they were doing it, too. They oh. were doing it, too. They were the biggest <laughs> offenders, so they didn't really care. But trying to organize, you know, because of the malware that came along with that ecosystem, trying to mm -hmm. organize that bag of cats. Uh, I must have been. A t I, I would love to talk to somebody who was a network admin back then. Well, as it just so happens, you are, in fact, talking to one of those admins, because at the time when I was in college, starting my freshman year, I was part of a group called ResCons, Residential Consultants. I went into the dorms and fixed computer and network issues. I worked mm. with the school's IT administrators and the network, oh, and the okay. network folks. Okay. I met so with you them were friendly weekly. With and so I, I wasn't just friendly. We worked together. We talked about these problems. So I actually had a front row seat for this entire experience. Nice. So, so, so what did they think? Okay. So, yes, it, it, it was overnight. Their bandwidth vanished. It's basically was the first yeah, thing disappeared. So the the bandwidth completely <laughs> disappeared off the campus, and so the the initial problem was rainy. Just keeping bandwidth available, just quality of service. It's just quality yeah. of service for the for the school for the teachers and for the classroom activities. And so mm -hmm. over they did almost they did some. They did some lightweight stuff during that school year, but they waited to do the heavy lifting over the summer. And what they did over the summer was they incorporated um, packet shaping and and traffic um, traffic monitoring. And so they took the the peer to peer got squeezed down. They didn't now yeah. keep in mind this is sort of been nine. This would have been ninety nine into two thousand. Okay, so there were no rules and there was, I mean, it was a wild, wild west. And so they didn't turn it off. It was just, okay. Well, no, and the problem, the problem was, and it wasn't it, the, the biggest problem, I would imagine, you, you're you you're about to tell us, the the, the, the the rapidly listening audience, I would imagine the <laughs> primary issue was not people going out and downloading things from the broader WAN. The actual problem is that everybody in a given building is still using the same network closet, even for east-west traffic. And the P2P traffic is probably what ate up a lot of the internal bandwidth to such a degree that North South was impacted. Okay, so North South was the um, the East West internal the internal stuff uh, that's that was spiky because depending on who was doing what and you, so you're dealing right. with a smaller pool and so that would clump up and then release and clump up and release. The mm -hmm. bigger, more systemic issue was the sheer amount of constant peer to peer. At, going out to the Napster services because so, a lot so of what it a lot was of actually did, North South. It was both. Okay. It was both. But what uh, with the Napster stuff, what a lot of people were doing was they were paying it forward. They would yeah. download and then they would share it out again and they would became part of that, that your seed ratio to yeah. five or something. Well, that's BitTorrent. This is not BitTorrent. So there was no seed ratio at this point, but yes. Oh, same that's right. Yeah. Same yeah. concept, but no, we are predating BitTorrent. Okay. Mm -hmm. So people would download. Yeah, I'm and even then going would, later. And then they would turn around and they would share out everything they had. And they became part of the, the group that was, that was pushing content out. And so people that was actually upload and that was incoming from other, from outside the broader wing. Yeah. So that was always, that was getting clogged up too. That's a more complicated problem. The East West spikiness, they were able to solve that pretty quickly by subnetting. So they took the, they took the, uh, the, the buildings, the academic buildings, subnetted off Which they from, the, soon, from the dorms. Yep. And then the dorms, they even subnetted individually in the dorms to limit and restrict the traffic so that you you were only sharing inside your by building as opposed to the floor. entire yeah, which, campus. Which, which with the explosion of devices that was about to happen, they were going to wind up having to do that they anyway. They had to do so it it's anyway. it's not like extra yep. work, you know. Yeah, so that actually- yeah, so that actually worked out well for them. The the broader issue of you know how to handle and control the peer-to-peer -peer stuff, that required them to go out and get a lot of equipment that they hadn't needed before, the packet monitoring and the and the packet shaping. Because up until that point, 
I mean, this is the thing. I mean, we, we take this for granted. This is a given on any network now. You look at the traffic. What's the stuff that I want? What's the stuff I don't want? Turn off the stuff I don't want and let the so that the good stuff can flow. Up till this point, there was nothing else. There was no need for this outside of very extreme large organizations and large installations. You didn't need this kind of infrastructure, but the peer-to-peer stuff absolutely demanded it. And so they, up until that point, it had been some online gaming. That was about it. That was about the only thing that you really had to worry about. And that wasn't super, you know, demanding, at least, you know, given the size. So over the summer, they installed a lot of uh, uh, packet shaping and they they deprioritized peer to peer so that the academic stuff could go. But here's the thing. (laughs) This is the best part. This is great. Well, but they, there, there were schedules with that too. Yes, this is the, this is the best part. So what they did, because again, at this point, there's no rules, there's no stigmas or anything like that. These guys were so awesome about it. They turned the Peter Peer down during the school day, down at seven a.m. and then unleash it at five p.m. Unleash it after class. Let it crank. Done. It was awesome. <laughs> so you could Let sit crank. there. You could yeah. sit there and watch it. At the turn of the hour, and it would go, zoop, and you just start hammering away again, getting Flood all your gates music. Are open. It was great. Yeah. So they were actually going along with it to, you know, to, as a as kind of a hat tip to the students. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Well, but they still, I mean, I mean, as even even absent that particular technology demand, that's that's a very common like yeah. the academic networks oh, for a bunch of reasons, still do that today. Yeah, they for sure. shift they shift priority to the dorms at night and that makes sense. Yeah. I wonder though, like I, I'm trying to think back at what time period which advancements were made. Um, my guess is at that period, probably like, you know, if you say each academic building in each dorm probably just had like a router initially, you know, before all this they, fancy equipment. Yeah, they, they um, tended to they're probably like they're probably 10, 100 networks. They were 10, 100 right? networks. Yep. Yeah. They were 10, 100 networks. Yeah. I I mean, I, I installed a lot of that, a lot of that stuff, not in the schools. Okay. The school had their own equipment. I did that. I used the same equipment because I worked in the summers. I worked in a school district running ethernet cable through walls. And I ended, I did a lot of switches and routers. I did punch downs and things like that. And it was all this Linksys 10, 100 gear is, it was basically yeah. what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they got these, they, they, they had to, we replaced the, the, you know, the biggest problem with the equipment in the schools at the time, lightning strikes, they would have yeah. fried switches every time we had a thunderstorm somewhere on campus, something got fried every single time a thunderstorm mm-hmm. happened. Um, so they did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it was, um, <laughs> how quickly they would have outgrown the 10, one hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> like how how woefully unprepared were they on on the bandwidth side for what was about to happen? Oh, gee, I, I mean they they I mean with the packet shaping it kept it under control. Um, I you know I graduated in '03 and so I I missed um, Facebook launched the year I graduated, so I I missed Facebook. That wasn't part of my college experience. You know, you talk to my sister, my younger brother. That was a you know that was. Defining the way the way that Napster peer to peer and and MP3s and Winamp were defining for me, it became Facebook and the social media thing yeah. for you know in in the later years, and that's when and that's as the um, then the 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 iPhone comes into the mix and you really start to just eat a ton of bandwidth. So I didn't I didn't see the yeah. I did not see the loss of bandwidth there, but what I did see was the segmentation, packet monitoring, and packet shaping, traffic traffic control, really more than anything else. Um, to keep things, to keep things moving, to keep things running smooth. And then I think at, by the time I was a senior at that point, peer to peer was, you know, already starting to get negative vibes. Uh, They were still allowing you to download, but you could no longer upload. And so you're, so Mm -hmm. the inbounds for people trying to download from you got blocked. So you couldn't actually share anything out because the schools were starting to get And then as you transitioned from Napster into Torrents, torrents. Uh, yep, if you torrent. weren't sharing, you wouldn't get good seed. So you it right. really nerfed what you were able to do. And that's when, and that at that period, that's when you started to see things like VPNs crop up. And so mm-hmm. you started to have tunnel out and the then tunnel do it out the pipe. and then do yeah. Yep. 
And so, and and, yeah. and the and the saga continues to this day. This ever escal ever escalating nuclear. Not that war. either of us participated in any I, of this, nor would we recommend any students listening. I, I to mean, honestly, it was a hypothetical technology. It was a hypothetical story about what might have happened to me in college. To I, a friend, yeah, to, to a, friend. a friend, to a friend, <laughs> right? I mean, there's there's absolutely no videotape recordings of this or anything at that time. You can't prove anything. <laughs> I didn't uh, do it. You didn't see me do it. You can't I, prove anything. Yeah, yeah that's right. The Bart thanks, Simpson Bart. line. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do it. Nobody <laughs> saw me do it. You can't prove anything. Thanks, Bart. So that was, man, that was good times. Um, but the, yeah, so Winamp is back. <laughs> None of this other stuff is, but Winamp is back. So I'm curious to see where that goes. Um, yeah, Winamp. Yeah, Winamp. Uh, I had a, I had another story uh, to to bring us back more on more on topic here. Um, I sent you an article about, uh, did you read this article that I sent you from Yahoo? What is the topic? About the, we, we're just having, we're just shooting the breeze every we week. We are just what shooting the breeze. Topic? But, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> talking to the audience about the things that actually matter to the audience. I'm, I'm not sure how many of them care about Winamp, but you know, Winamp's fun. Um, all three of them. One of, one of the three of them might remember. <laughs> do you, did you read this article I sent you? I know I sent it to you this morning, so I'm not sure if you did from Yahoo. Did no. you read this article? Okay, so I sent you an article from Yahoo about a Did TV. Do you see it? Do you see this thing? So a TV host, this is the title. Headline, TV host flew 10,000 miles for an exclusive interview with Adele, only to have it canceled after he said he hadn't listened to her new album. <laughs> I thought. All right, so that's a clickbaity headline. What does the article say? Okay, so I, I read the article, okay? So, so it's this, it was an Australian TV host. Uh, he flew, let's see here. He flew from, he flew to sit uh, from Sydney to London, which is about a 10,000 mile travel to interview Adele in her album. He, his interview was the only one with an Australian outlet during the interview. This I'm, I'm reading from the article now. During the interview, when asked by Adele what he thought of the new album, Doran said that he, Matthew Doran, I don't know if I said his name, uh, the interviewer, uh, Doran said he hadn't listened to it yet, the Telegraph reported. It added that the singer was offended. The interview ran to completion, but Sony, which owns Adele's music, later told Channel 7, which is Matthew Doran's uh, uh, channel, uh, told Channel 7 that it was withholding the rights to the interview footage as a result of Doran's oversight. Several reports said that Doran was su uh, subsequently suspended by Channel 7, but Doran told the Australian on Sunday that he wasn't formally suspended. He was off the air for one week. He returned to his slot on the network on Saturday. Total package for the rights to the Adele interview footage, which included access to video from Oprah Winfrey's One Night Only with Adele, Cost Channel Seven about one million Australian dollars, which is seven hundred twenty-five thousand U.S. So, big time, big time. So, I thought this was story. This, this, I thought this story was really interesting because and and relevant to to us because this is a thing that I see engineers do all the time. You know, we talk about heads down engineering versus heads up engineering. You know, your head's down engineer just wants, you know, I just want to write code. Let's let me sit in this dark corner and write, write code. That's all I want to do. I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to deal with businesses. I'm just a coder and I want to do code. Ignore the rest of the world. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So big mistake. You can't. Yeah. And, and uh, I thought this was good evidence of you can't do that. You, you need to. So, and, so and to clarify for any new listeners that our, our core thesis here is that if, if what you want to do for a living is create and publish software that's awesome but and and that can be your primary job responsibility but you can't be blind to the people and the business and the financial and legal factors and all of this other kind of stuff is you're not going to find a job where you simply show up and and write lines of code for eight hours and then hang up your keyboard and you can be completely oblivious to the surrounding environment that's a that's that's a there's a difference between those things. Well, you you uh, you can try to do so, but you do so at your own risk and detriment because the quality of yeah. your work suffers if you put on the blinders. If you are having and your career opportunities suffer, right? So if you have awareness and and you you are cognizant of the things around you, you will be more successful. So 
Matthew here, for example, he's not a he, he he's a he's a TV host. He's not a music guy. He's not in the music industry. I assume I don't know anything about him, but let's assume for the sake of the argument, you know, the the guy is, you know, pushing himself. You know, he wants to do television broadcasting. You know, he, he, he is not you know looking to get a job with Sony. He's not a backup singer for Adele. He has little to no direct interest in that. And yet. He's going to interview Adele. He should have done his homework. I, I mean, there's no doubt about it. This guy screwed up. If I go to interview Adele about her new album, you bet your butt on the 10,000-mile flight, I'm going to listen to the freaking CD. Listen to it one or 10 times, become familiar with it At on more than just it. a little surface. Yeah. So you can ask a couple of intelligent questions, maybe? Yes. I, I mean, this This yeah. is such, this is, this is personal prep 101 style stuff. And- it's a good lesson for everybody, engineers especially, because engineers have a natural inclination to just go, nope, I don't want to deal with the outside world. And you can't do that. To be good at your job, you really need to see everything around you. And so when you know, if you're going into a new project, asking lots of questions from lots of different people, and even places that, you know, people who aren't necessarily in the room people that your boss isn't telling you that you need to talk to, you should go talk to them anyway. Go talk to somebody in finance. Find somebody. But just for the sake of conversation, it's very okay to be guarded about what it is you actually want to be doing with your time at work so that you don't accidentally find yourself slipping into a business analysis role or a testing role or a management role that's or a different. role if that's not what you want. Just for the sake of conversation, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead, know what you want and and guard it. Um, but that's that's different than, you know, what you're saying, which is somebody who's just oblivious to uh, oblivious to the context. Yeah, I'm talking their, about about their Yeah, the difference here is and I'm glad you called that out because the difference that I'm calling out here is awareness versus action or output, which is yeah. what you're describing. So awareness, you should know everything that you can possibly know about the work and the stuff that is surrounding you. You should know about the business. You should know about the, the interests, the insights, the requirements. And what well, a great I, example of, and something that's probably most likely to hit a lot of software developers on an active project, a project manager. There may okay. be a project manager in, like embedded in your team for whatever project comes to you, or there may be a project manager uh, for the projects that are ongoing, and then your team is, you know, used applied to one of those projects. But in either event, you've got a PM, and they're going to ask you questions like, "What are the blockers? And what is your status? And what is the ETA?" And the heads down is like, "I don't know. I don't care. Uh, there's no blockers, or I don't need to explain this again to you because you don't get it, and you're not technical. You're never going to understand it. So why bother explaining it? Yeah, everything's fine. And then you lie to them, and then they mm -hmm. misreport, and then everybody gets." Uh, gets taken to the wood shop because the project missed and there were cost and time overruns and everything else versus somebody who at least understands, look, that's not my job. Their job is to communicate and, and keep expectations level. They're not technical. They're never going to get it, but I understand what their job is on the team mm -hmm. and I'm going to make sure to the best that I can, they understand the high level context of, of what they need to be reporting on so they can go and do their job. So if a PM comes to me and, oh man, I'm really sorry to have to ask you this again, but when do we think that's going to be done? I think I'll lecture you for a half an hour about how you can't possibly know that this will be done because there are too many unknown variables. And I, right? No, I'm going to say, look, I honestly don't know. I could tell you it's going to take another week, but I got like 40% confidence that that's true. Fine. PM doesn't care. They just need to know what the answer is so they can report it appropriately. So what do you need to know? You need to understand what their job function is, how they fit into the team. So if you're on a team with more than just software engineers, it requires you to actually spend some time thinking about how they're measured by their boss. And then when you interact with them, try to keep that in mind. They're not there to serve you. You're all there to serve the project, whatever that, you know, however you define Whatever that. it is. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just it. It's, it's really like it boils down to empathy trying to understand when somebody comes to you with a question or a problem, why are they coming to you and what do they need out of this interaction? And then delivering that in a way that, you know, isn't crappy. Yeah. <laughs> that's the ultimate, that's the end of it. Yeah. And, and, and so understand, you know, this also 
handling a project manager is very similar to the way that you handle any kind of management or, or leadership or oversight when they're when they're pushing you. For- no, that's why I use it as an example, because yeah. whether it's your manager or your team lead or the project manager or VP comes down and does a skip or like whatever the, you know, whoever it is you're working with on your team and even an ops guys like somebody else that's technical, but not software. The right. same thing applies. You're on the team. You've got different roles. Try to exercise some empathy, right? That's PM is just one common example that's kind of easy to pick on because so many engineers hate them with such a passion unnecessarily, I think, unfairly. Well, I don't know about that. I'd say hmm, I'm not a I'm not generally a fan of PMs on software projects because I find that they don't generally add a lot and they create a lot of noise. Signal to noise ratio is off with PMs most of the time in my experience. You go back, you go back to there's a difference between a good PM and a bad one. All right, hold on. All right, there you go. Yeah. No, that's it. There's a difference between a good PM and a bad one. Uh, At the end of the day, they're both going to, there's a core subset of questions that need to be asked and communication that needs to happen. And a good and a bad PM will both probably do that at some point, right? Mm -hmm. The difference is a bad PM has a bunch of other crap that they throw at you that's not really necessary and it's a bunch of noise and it does piss off people who are just trying to actually get the work done. Will you stop asking me for a status update four times a day? If you keep interrupting me, I'm never going to get it done. I told you when (laughs) I was going to have it done. Just friggin' wait. You know, I get it. Like I'm... (laughs) You know, the PM, I am the, a recovering developer. I understand, you know, the dynamic and, and I think everybody's, unfortunately, I think most people have had more experiences with a bad PM than a good one. I think that is, that is unfortunately fair to say. I've met some good ones though, and they really can add value. But the difference is, would you say that more developers are heads down versus heads up? Mm, I'd say the default posture is heads down. Percentage wise, I'm honestly not sure how it would break down, but I would say- okay. Especially on the so new side, heads down tends to be yeah. the default posture. So we're, yeah. we're agreed that probably your average developer is going to tend towards heads down. I'll submit to you that a PM is only going to be as good as the information that they can get and the True. insight that they can get from the people they're working with. And if all of your developers are heads down, yeah, like a good PM will rise above that and 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 be successful in their piece of the puzzle anyway. But it's going to be really hard even for a good one if the developers have that kind of cantankerous resentment and, and resistance. Here's, here is the problem. Here's the problem with, with PMs. I'm going to give you an analogy. This, the problem with PMs is the same problem that college football coaches have with recruiting. Okay. Here's what I mean. The best ones are always demonstrating a skill set that is naturally going to push them up and out of the PM role because PM is is a is often a stepping stone. Oh, That's not a goal. I see. So the best yeah. PMs, the best PMs are actually great consultants because that's what project management is. It's a consultant style gig. It's handling communication. And if you don't have to be an expert in the in the tech technicals to be excellent at consulting. So the best ones, they have that skill and they're so good at it that they move on to bigger and better things. The people who tend to stick around in project management, Peter Principle, they, it's, they, they rose to the level of their incompetence. incompetence. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, and that's pretty much it. So you do run into great ones from time to time, but they often are not staying there or they're doing that long. role in addition to something else. Our mutual friend, David is a perfect example of this. The way that we met David on that project, he was a, he was a uh, equal parts uh, programmer uh, and, and architect. He was designing the system and he was also doing PM work. And he was really, he wasn't really, he wasn't doing PM work. Well, he didn't have a PM. They did have, they had a PM on the project, but I don't know. I mean, like, the, the PM kind of sucked and, and ended up getting removed. And David, at the end of it, was actually doing it. He's really good at it. Kind of effectively wound up he, doing it. Yeah, I, I'll buy that. And, I'll he buy was, that. and he was good at it. And now yeah. he's doing work that actually flexes more on the PM side, but he's leveraging his technical skill in support of this project management-esque work that he's doing. But he's moved on. He is not a project manager, but he was really dang good at it. You know, as yeah. as an example. So, so 
So you're always losing your best folks to the big leagues. Just mm-hmm. that's that that is the the core problem with 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 um project with project. Well, management. I think that's where, and I I think that's where a lot of you've seen a kind of groundswell of support if you if you look at the the tweeters and the blogs and the twitters and the tweet spaces and the my faces the, the tweet the tweet spaces and, and the, the tweet the space. bloggings yes and the, the mediums and the larges of the world to but if, you, if you the the all right you want to get you want to go pinkies out here the conversation <laughs> uh the, the con you know the broader topic lately i've seen a lot of information and a lot of people pushing the message of of What's up, y'all? And this is not just software engineering, but I've also seen it in IT ops. I've seen a lot in InfoSec. Mm-hmm. We have to get better at teaching and mentoring and growing mm-hmm. people into better roles. Yes. Because you're go- you're going to get a bunch of greenhorns in the front door no matter what. So right. what you can do is have them languish in their roles and burn out or get fired. Or... You can have them come in, grow with your organization, and then, yeah, at some point, probably outgrow your organization, but you are going to lose them eventually anyway. Like the, the average person is not starting at their new company at 22 years old and then retiring from that same company, right? That era is, is no longer. You're probably not going to retire unless you're really close to that age or really love your company. Probably not going to retire from where you are right now, right? I have averaged. So, I've averaged about three years across every every position. Like I think the longest I've stayed is three and a half. I'm I'm hoping to break it. I'm I'm in a spot right now. I'm hoping to break it. Um, but that yeah, is, there's your case in point. My my average may even be a little lower. My longest is like six and a half. That's where mm-hmm. I am now. But it's it's still like it's and it's not. I I wanted to be somewhere a lot, but it's just forces pull you around. You right. You, know, you move. You get married. You get laid off. Things happen, right? It's it's just it's a the dynamic. Compa- the company interests and and valuations yeah, and it's, your role changes. The the, the work yeah, changes. It's a, it's a dynamic industry it's and very, we're very in demand. Flexible. So things that well that's there's we are in demand. So there's constant flux, mm-hmm. right? That's that's like the ultimate, you know. But you you. You have to get good, I think, at onboarding. You have to get good at training and mentoring and coaching and leading um, to optimize that process because it's going to happen anyway. And why not get good at it? And why not try to rise, you know, all boats with the with the tide? There is um, a. There's but I've a, seen a lot about that lately, and I'm like, I'm all in. I'm well, all in I, with this idiot. There is a quote. I forget who. Some big name CEO from a tech company. I can't remember who it was. Talked about teaching and, and training and learning and improving. And the, the basic, I, I, I won't remember the exact quote. The basic message is like, it's my goal to, for you as an individual to grow and improve and become better and eventually outgrow and outclass the position that you're in. It's the company's responsibility to have a place for you as you continue to grow. If the company doesn't, that's on the company, but my role inside the company is to keep you advancing elevate. and growing and elevating. Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it. A variation on that. I is love something that. Like love that approach. Uh, we want to. We want to. We want to. We want to grow you. We want to give you opportunities to outgrow, but we want to treat you well enough so that you don't leave. Something you that's know, a good like way of putting that. it. It's it's yeah. it's you know kind of the back end is a little different, but it's sort yeah. of the same structure. And hey, guess what? The secret this all right you guys all right hang on hang on wait a minute wait a minute i don't have anything wait a minute here hang on you guys i'm about to drop a big truth bomb you ready for this you ready nobody's ever told you this before in your life you ready for this Mm -hmm. the secret is to not be a douchebag i just did not see that coming people well didn't see that just treat people well i'm I'm shocked You sound so, shocked. I, I mean, this is my Just shocked don't be face. A jerk. This is a podcast, and you can still see my shocked face. I mean, I, it's a, that's it's how a shocked pet peeve I am. of mine, right? I know it's it's so sh- it's it's shock, very shock, such <laughs> so, amaze, so, so much shock. It's 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 a pet peeve of mine that this idea that we, you know, you want to be a professional and you want to be seen to be a professional. You want to act professionally. That's that's all well and good. It's a pet peeve of mine when people seem to take that to mean you can't also be a decent human. Mm-hmm. And, and there are two parts to that, decent and human. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that just some some emotionless automaton blindly implementing rules that were handed to you and ensuring that nobody violates them? No, it's like we're all people. We all suck. The company sucks. We're trying to make it a better place. And I don't care what co- my company, your company, it d- doesn't matter. They're all in the same boat. We're we're people. We're imperfect. And so I don't myself. I feel led to. Uh, just try to just try to be decent and let people grow. Yeah, I mean, you it's it's not, and the teaching and the learning stuff. That's a that's a step beyond not being a douchebag. That's that's sort of that's bare minimum for I think anything. Um, the you know actually training others on stuff is is a is a step beyond. Um, but like it's a good starting point, and it is absolutely it is absolutely essential. So. Unwinding this again, all the way back to uh, how how we um, you know you can't back be ahead smacking llamas. Yeah, well, no, that was no. We've we've whipped all the llamas' asses. Oh, no. no, we're 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 done. We're done with the llamas' ass. No, this uh, this is back to uh, back to the article about um, the TV host and who lost his interview with with Adele and doing his right. prep work and doing and doing homework um, and not being you know eagerly gobbling up information from any and all sources that you can find going into a project or even in the middle of a project, you should always be looking to expand your, your knowledge. It will make you a better programmer, a better developer, a better team lead. And it'll make, and more importantly for the, for the engineers who are like, Oh, this is crap. I just want to, I just want to code. It'll make your code better guaranteed just doing this kind of homework and this kind of exposure. You don't have to put a lot of effort into it. It will make you a better programmer. I'll give you a real simple example. I mean, what's name as an engineer? Think, think, you know, early, you know, young Chris engineer. Think Uh about the teams or departments that you really just did not like and felt like you did not gel with. I'm hoping you're going to say the one I'm thinking of, but that's okay. Let's see what you come up with. Like, who did you think? Who who did you think, man, I could, I couldn't have less in common with this group in the company inside generic organization. Okay. I got it in my head. All right. What is it? There's a bunch of heads down people. (laughs) Is that what you're looking for? It was no, 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 that's not, no, no, no. Like as an engineer, the oil engineers have a certain personality and style and, and mindset. And, and, you know, we tend to be oil and water with, other groups. The one that jumps out to me immediately is sales and marketing. Sales and marketing. And oh, engineering. you meant, No, I didn't understand the premise. I didn't okay. understand the assignment. Sorry. Okay. Well, would you agree? Well, would you agree with what I'm saying here? Groups. Like, Hang on, you, I got to reframe. It's a group that we don't get along with the most. Like naturally, I, I'm not saying that you actually are adversarial with them, naturally. but that you know the most, the most um, different from from each other. Yeah, I w- uh, there's a uh, yeah, I see where you're going there. Okay, okay. Uh, you would agree that mar- sales and marketing is partially like could be one of those groups, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, no objection. No all right, objection. good enough. All right, so and and there's 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 good reason for that. We're we're in the in the process of you know, engineers build and they solve. Here's a challenge. I'm going to come up with a solution and I'm going to solve this problem. And and that that is the that's the win for us. Uh, sales and marketing, it's about expression and communication and connecting with, with individuals and, and messages. And it's, it's all this externality that doesn't really, ha- it doesn't have the, the, um, uh, you know, the solution at the end necessarily. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the building and the communicating and things like that. Now I know that you actually you know, you do build things so like marketing folks. Don't, don't go off on me here. You know, I'm kind of broad, broad brush strokes on this one. They tend to be very distinct. You know, an engineer. I would say you could narrow that to just sales because okay. I think you're going to wind up keep accepting the marketing people. I don't know if they belong in the, in this exam. I would say you can even narrow that okay, to fine. sales. Narrow it to sales. That could work. All right. Yeah. So, so you couldn't have more, you couldn't have less in common with a salesperson. And I tend to agree with that. I, I, can do sales. It is not my default posture. And I don't really, I don't really enjoy the you cold don't super calling. Gusta it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah the no, no me gusta. I can do it. 
Uh, I'm better at it though when it's a um, when somebody has approached me as opposed to the cold sales. Oh yeah, um, oh, but yeah. It, it's sales is hard for me to do um, as a um, in the very traditional account executive commission style. That that's really not how I right. how right. I personally am am wired. And I imagine I'm probably not unique in that compared to most engineers. Well, a lot of engineers, you're probably talking a little more introverted and you're probably talking a little mm-hmm. more task oriented. Exactly. At sales, yes. you're talking a little more extroverted. extroverted and a little more people oriented. Right. And so, yeah, that's about as opposite sides of the spectrum. There's as you also can get. there's also an aggression difference. Sales tends to be it tends to um, uh, require and promote aggressive personalities. Because there's a go out and get them. Like you, you have to, you know, you've, you've really got to natural. Be, it's, it's a natural bucket for that temperament to, for that to temperament, more right. easily yeah. fall into. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's not a negative. Okay. Like an aggressive personality is not necessarily a negative. So just caveat on that. So, so this is very different from, from engineering. And, you know, that's the one group that you kind of feel the most uh, distant, distant from. from. And yeah, viscerally. And no, yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sales, one of the first people that you should talk to when it comes to a new company, a new project, a new product, a salesperson is the first one you want to talk to. You want to know how how sales is looking at it. How are they going to position it? How are they going to tackle it? What sort of things are they hearing from customers when they get feedback, when they get questions? Sales is a goldmine of information that is of extreme value in your, in your project, in your, in your product. And so precisely, and I think my, my theory is precisely because they're not you. They're so, they are so different. They're going to bring so much to the table that is not going to otherwise be there. And so far from walling yourself off, you need to be branching out. I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself. When I can, but I can't even Chest help but, but to make think in my mind, like we're talking through this and I'm thinking uh, you, you mentioned um, uh, one mutual friend, David, by name, but but we've known others who. Yeah. Guys who and gals, uh, people mm-hmm. who are really like top tier engineers, people yes. that are really, really good at what they do. Tend not to be heads down. Correct. And the best so not. happens. Yes, I have seen many instances where those best engineers, you know, even in my own org will go on and become, you know, like we said, kind of a PM ish style role or, and because it's relevant to the the example you use with engineers versus sales, sales engineers, sales engineers, and were very successful Mm -hmm. at that. And, and I think, wow, that's not, that doesn't really shock me because the traits that made you the better engineer are the ones that put you into the mindset a little more of that sales mentality, the people orientation, the ability to empathize. And I, mm-hmm. I keep going back to empathy because I think that's everything. It's huge, yeah. Um, but I think about sales engineers because we, we, we put people squarely in between those two camps all the time. And the best, they're usually really good engineers and they're mm-hmm. easy to get along with because they've got, they've, they've got that human side of it. You know, mm-hmm. they've, they've, they have the ability to listen correct, you know, listen and, and empathize. And they make better engineers because they better understand. They will more quickly and more clearly understand the, the needs and the challenges and the requirements yeah. exactly. And so you're able because it's not what you said; it's, it's what not. you actually need. There's and what those you are say. Often very uh-huh. different things. Uh huh. Yeah. So, and I, I just thought about the parallels. The, the the people that I've seen, you know, go on and become sales engineers or something like that. They're the ones that are the heads up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I'm just. And, and really all of neurons this neurons are connecting. Yeah. All of this really com- boils back to, you know, what you and I have, have generally called that void between business and technology between, you know, engineers and, and non-engineers, the better you are able to cross that, that void, cross that gap or you know, straddle it, ideally live in both, live in both worlds, the more successful you will be at whatever you want to do. And so yeah. it behooves you to to you know cover both and and do a good job uh, in both. So I'm um, in agreement. And poor uh, poor Matthew Doran here served as our example. Poor Matthew Doran. He's, he's got a. He did not live in both worlds, and you can do better than that. You poor dumb schmuck. You poor poor baby. 
well, if you've if you've ever botched an interview opportunity with a top ten mezzo soprano, please write us feedback at refactor.work. You can send us a note that we'll read or or voice record and email us that. We'll play it on the show. We'd love uh, to hear from you. Find all of our. We would love to hear. We would love. To, we would legitimately love to hear. Totally. From you. Yes. Absolutely. Um, you can find back episodes, archives, show notes, all of that sort of jazz at refactor.work. That's our that's our little website, our little our little web presence over we there. We have on new the, subscription on the buttons there. on there too, by the way. We do. Some mm-hmm. some cunning and, and enterprising young fellow, good looking fellow. Dare I say uh, handsome? Gave us, yes. Dare I say handsome? Put uh, put some links to dedicated players. You know, Spotify, Overcast. If you're if you're elite level podcaster. Mm-hmm, uh, so check mm-hmm. out the check out the site updates. You can find my ramblings online. Chris.tonkinson.com is where I live, and Frank's over at Hot Coals, K-O-H-L-S.com. I said that a little too fast, and I K-O-E-H-L-S. I got it. You could have let that one you got slide. It? Okay, that's all good. All right. I felt it. I was a little too quick. You know, I, I should probably get a miss. I should probably just register the misspellings and get done and be done with it. What I should do. Coles. I would. Yeah. All right. Now I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna have fun putting awkward misspellings of Coles on the, <laughs> the show notes. <laughs> well, this has been episode 48, recorded November 23rd, 2021. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Chris. See you, buddy. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. <laughs>